hold me fast. Some of you are here this morning and that is the word from God that you needed to hear and be reminded of. Amen. Amen. He's going to hold us fast. We're going to get your Bibles out. Turn to the book of Colossians and uh, starting our sermon series in the book of Colossians this morning. We'll spend the next eight weeks working through uh, this awesome and it truly is an awesome book. And uh, so bear with me for a few minutes here. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back of our sanctuary. Uh, We encourage you to have everyone have their eyes on a copy of God's Word, just so you know I'm not making this stuff up. This really is what God's Word uh, is saying. And so if you don't have a Bible, we have some back there. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take those, uh, use those, happy for you uh, to have them. But bear with me here for a few moments as we uh, introduce both the book and this series where we'll be spending the next couple of months working through of the book of Colossians. And in fact, let me just start by reading the first uh, two verses of Colossians, and that will help us to introduce the book. Uh, Colossians 1, 1 and 2 tells us this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And so uh, a couple of things that become pretty obvious uh, right out of the gate. One is that this is a book written by Paul to the church uh, at, at Colossae. Uh, the Colossi was located about 80 miles northeast of Ephesus. It uh, wasn't a very big community, wasn't a very prominent community, uh, actually quite small and kind of out of the way. Uh, Paul had never been to this church. What we'll find out later today is the church was actually started and planted by a guy named Epaphras. We're introduced to him in verse 7. Um, and Epaphras uh, started the church, planted the church. It's most likely that Epaphras came to know Christ Uh, through the teaching of Paul when he was there for a few years uh, in Ephesus. Uh, But Epaphras goes back, he uh, begins this church, he plants this church. And then our understanding is that uh, uh, Epaphras makes the journey to visit Paul while he's in prison to share with him about a number of the issues that are going on in the church. And that's what prompts Paul to write this letter. Now you might be saying, what issues? Well, really there was a couple of issues. There, There was just kind of almost this weird marriage of ideas that was unfolding amongst false teachers. And so in one sense, you had this strain of, um, well, you really had almost a syncretistic blend of, of pagan Greek thinking. Um, what a lot of guys would tell you is kind of the initial strains of Gnosticism. And of course, Gnostic, uh, Gnosis is one of the Greek words for knowledge. And this heavy emphasis on knowledge, um, that spiritual things were better and different and distinct from physical things. And so the physical was bad, but only the spiritual was good. And so while it wasn't Gnosticism, this Colossians predates Gnosticism in its full-blown sense. Some guys think this is actually the initial strains of that. And so you have that kind of pagan way of thinking wedded to this really uh, ritualistic and legalistic form of Judaism uh, that was playing out. And so Epaphras goes to Paul and he's saying, you got to speak into this. You got to speak into this. You got to teach us with respect to these things. Because central at the issue of these false teachings was the person of Jesus. And in short, there were three errors that they were promoting and teaching. One, that Jesus was not God. That's a big one, okay? Uh, They were also teaching that Jesus was not a man. He wasn't truly a man in the way that you and I are human. By the way, that's equally important because if Jesus is not a man, his sacrifice on your place and in my place is insufficient. And that was really the third piece that they were teaching is that they denied the sufficiency of Christ. 
So the book of Colossians is written to combat this this inadequate view of Jesus. And so Paul is writing this letter uh, to this church. and, And really what he's getting at is, I want you to know who Jesus really is, what he has really done, and all of the implications that has come because of that. And so when we think about our series, you can see the title slide, Christ Centered titled that on purpose because the the entirety of this book is about the person of Jesus. Paul writes this whole letter around Jesus and makes a very strong case for the supremacy of Christ as the head of the church, as the head of creation, as the head of all things, the sovereign, ruling, reigning God over the entirety of the universe. In fact, Kent Hughes says this about the book of Colossians with respect to Christ in his commentary. He says, there is no book in the New Testament that presents such a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. And my desire for us, my heart for us in these next eight weeks, as we look through, as we work through the the book of Colossians, I want us to see the fullness of Jesus. I I want us to have a greater appreciation for Christ, that we would have a greater love of Christ, a greater understanding of Christ, a greater awe and respect of Christ, that we would be overwhelmed by the person and and the deity of Jesus, and that we would worship him more fully and completely in all that we are and all that we do. So let me just begin to focus our attention now to the first 14 verses of Colossians 1, and where we're going to spend our time here together this morning. Let me me just give you the main idea up front. Here's where I think God's word is going to drive us to this morning, loved ones. It's this. It's that our love for God culminates in us thanking God for his people and praying for them. That our love for God is, is culminated in, in us thanking God for His people and praying for God's people. And I th- before we go any further, let's read the text together. In fact, I'm going to ask you this morning, why don't you stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's Word uh, this morning. And uh, I'm going to read out loud, encourage you to follow along. Colossians 1, uh, verses 1 through 14 tells us this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. How about this line? Wouldn't you like this to be written about you in the scriptures? He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. What a passage. Go and take a seat. I love how you all just stood there, right? Just like waiting for that. Um, so, hey, before we go any further, I want to pray. And uh, normally we, we, 
well, we, we pray for another church in the area, but Mike, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Uh, Mike Potter, uh, there's this really neat thing that happens uh, that, that goes on in Albuquerque, and there's this collective of pastors um, who care more about the gospel going forward than they do about their own specific church um, becoming famous. So Mike is a part of the Gospel Coalition uh, that I'm a part of. Mike has been on sabbatical, and so they're hanging out, visiting uh, different churches. And so I love when we have other pastors in our church. I want to pray for them. I want to identify them, and we want to lift high uh, the fact that there are other God-honoring churches in the metro area that are doing uh, the work of Christ in a really faithful way. So I'm going I'm to put my hand on Mike. Mike, you're not preaching. Who's preaching today at Foothills? Do you know? I love that you don't know. This guy is into his sabbatical, isn't he? Praise God for that. You know what? We're going to pray for who? Do you, know, do you know? It might be my associate Joe, but he could use prayer anyway if he's not preaching. Okay. All right. We're going to pray for Joe no matter what and whoever's preaching. Why don't you pray with me, loved ones? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that we um, get to be instructed and taught on. And God, we pray your spirit would move powerfully in and amongst us here uh, today. Uh, but God, not only for us, as is our custom, we want to pray for another church in the area. God, I thank you for my brother Mike and for uh, the faithful work that he's done for years uh, here in Albuquerque at Foothills Fellowship. And we pray for Joe. God, I pray for him, whether he's preaching or not this morning, uh, that you would be empowering and equipping him to, to handle the load and carry the load. God, I pray for Mike that this time of sabbatical would be a time of great rest and refreshment and rejuvenation, and that when he returns to the work and the ministry, uh, that he would be energized um, and excited about the work in front of him. And whether it's Joe or someone else who's preaching this morning, we pray that your word would be preached and lifted high and uh, more than your word, God, that you would be uh, honored and glorified as, at what's happening in Foothills. And God, we pray in that same way, in that same manner and measure that you would be honored and glorified here at Faith Church. So Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, come and do the work that only you can do in and amongst your saints. And we pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right, well, here we go. Colossians 1 is uh, make my way back up here. Um, <clears throat> title the message this morning, Thanksgiving and Prayer. Uh, Thanksgiving and Prayer, not, not a um, catchy title, but I think it captures really the, uh, the reality of what we're looking at here in the text. And again, let me just remind us, our love for God culminates in us thanking God for his people and praying for them. So there's really three distinct sections in the text. We're only going to really talk about two of them because the first one is what we see in verse 1 and 2. And it's your typical introduction that Paul does with every one of the letters that he writes. And so he's just introducing the fact that he is, in fact, the author, uh, the church that he's writing to. Although I want to make one note here. This is kind of a nerd note. Some of you will be like, could care less about this. Others of you are going to really get excited about this. Um, but notice at the end of verse 2, he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. In almost every one of Paul's letters, he mentions both God the Father and Jesus Christ. And yet here he only mentions God the Father. Now in his letter to, uh, the, his first letter to the Thessalonians, he doesn't me mention either God um, or Christ. Uh, it's just grace and peace to you. But here he only mentions God the Father. And I think that's specific to uh, the, the larger issue at play uh, around the person of Christ and, and the issues that people have with that. And so you have this first section in verse 1 and 2, you're, you're just your introduction. And then you have in verses 3 through 8, you have Paul thanking God for his people. And then verses 9 through 14, you have Paul praying uh, for the people of God. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, looking at those two things, those two points around thanksgiving and prayer, thanking God for his people. And so notice verse 3, Paul says this. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, this is also something that is very, very common in Paul's letters. In fact, in almost every one of his letters, uh, he begins by thanking God for the people. The only letter where this is an exception is the book of Galatians. And of course, in Galatians, Paul just launches into uh, some of the issues in that church. Maybe when he wrote, he wasn't thankful for them. Uh, Maybe he was never thankful for the Galatians. I don't know. He was definitely a little bit agitated when he wrote, but most of the time he's thanking God uh, for uh, his people. And notice it comes in the form of, at the end of verse 3, when we pray for you. And so while you could argue that all of 3 through 14 is a prayer, the overarching emphasis in verses 3 through 8 is tied to this idea of thanksgiving for the people. And uh, there's a number of things that are going on here. Let me just maybe make two brief observations in a more general sense. And then we'll talk about some of the specific aspects in verses 3 through 8. But notice this, when you look at verses 3 through 8, and, and this idea of thanking God for his people. First of all, we recognize and we realize that you and I have the ability, not in and of ourselves, but by the work of God, that you and I have the ability to be a means of God's grace that is accomplished in the lives of other people. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that, that really is incredible. That, that What he is telling them, he's saying, I thank God for you. A- and he's saying, I can identify, I can see that God is working in you. I can see that God is doing things in you. But I am going to thank God for what I see in you. I think that's really, really helpful for us. It, it should challenge us that even what we see in other people, that we're thanking God for the things that we see in them. I would just ask you, can you see God's hand at work in other people? Like, are you able to identify that? And then am I thanking God for what I see or how I am um, impacted by others and God's hand at work in their lives and how it intersects with mine? Right? The ability to, to recognize that, that you and I become a means of God's grace being accomplished to others. But then the, the, the reality of this or the other side of this is that, um, that, that you and I are, can become a means of God's grace to others in the same way that they can be that for, for us That God is going to manifest his purpose. He's going to manifest his love and his kindness and his generosity and his providence and his mercy and his tender loving care. He's going to do that through you and I. It's going to be accomplished through us. I love that. And so here Paul is thanking God for these people. But notice specifically what he's thanking God for. In fact, I want to highlight four things. You could argue that there's more here, but I want to highlight four things Uh, that Paul is thanking God for in the text. Look at verse 4. Here's the first. Right Under the the umbrella of thanking God, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So notice this first point here of thanking God for his people. Thank God for faith in Jesus. We thank God for faith in Jesus. Now, now I've framed these as imperatives, as ways that you and I apply these uh, in our lives and Paul's not necessarily uh, demanding this. He's just making an observation about this. But the way we framed uh, the sermon is more in the sense of an imperative so as to be applicable for you and I. He says, since we've, I, I, we always thank God since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He, he's excited about the faith that these guys have. He's fired up about the fact that, that they're saved. Have you thanked God for your faith in Jesus? Have you done that lately? Have you been reminded of, of, of where you were? You thank God for others' faith in Jesus. Can you remember what it was like to sit outside of the salvation of God? Now, for some of you, right, for some of you, we're talking 30, 40, 50, 60 years since that reality has been true of you. But 
pause and, and think about that and consider that from a, can, can you remember what it was like to be outside of that? Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and truth be known, that's where you find yourself. Maybe you're here and you're drug along by a family member or you're questioning or you're like, I'm kind of curious about this spiritual stuff or this faith in Jesus thing and I, I don't really know and we're glad you're here. Keep pressing. Keep asking questions. Our, our desire for you is to come to the other side because we know there's nothing greater in life than faith in Jesus and walking with him. But I think we take this for granted. We become inoculated to the incredible work that Christ has done for us. And I was reading this week and I'm like, Man, we need to thank God for our faith in Christ Jesus. Notice what he goes on to say in that same verse. Secondly, he says this. We thank God for the love that you have for all the saints. Right? We thank God for their love of the saints. In a more practical or applicable sense, we might say we thank God for our love of the saints. He's thankful for the way that these guys love each other. Which sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said back in John 13. A new commandment I give you that you should what? Love one another. Right? Just as you, I have loved you, you're to love one another. Now, don't miss. Don't miss what he says in the text. Um, I, I thank God that you... <clears throat> sorry, we always thank God of the love that you have for all the saints. Look what he says in the first part of verse 5. Right? This is the root of this. This is the motivation of what drives it. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, the, their love for the saints isn't, isn't conditioned upon what the saints have done for them. It's not tied to, you know, that guy's really nice, so I can love him. No, their love for one another, and we thank God for this, honestly, is tied to the gospel. It's tied to the work of Christ and what he's accomplished on our behalf. And so my love for you, your love for me isn't tied to, well, I like him, or he was nice to me, or he helped me with this, because if that's how we love one another, we wouldn't love anybody, because we would fail one another. But it's tied to what Christ has done for us. Right? This hope, it's rooted in the gospel. Thank God for our love of the saints. He starts talking about the gospel and Paul, right? Ever the teacher, it's like he couldn't help himself. As soon as he mentions the gospel or the hope laid up for you in heaven, he's like, oh, I, I, I got to just teach real quick. I got to just tell you a couple things about the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 5 and 6. Of this you have heard before in, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Right? We thank God for the gospel. We thank God for the gospel. We thank God for the good news that Jesus rescues, that Jesus saves, that, that Christ has intervened on your life and in my life and on our behalf. And he, he just begins to press this. He's like, I can't help it. I got to just tell you a few things about the gospel. I have to teach you. Right? He gets sidetracked. And he starts telling them about the gospel. Let me just highlight a couple phrases here that I think are really, really crucial. He talks about, you have heard before in the word of the truth, in the word of the truth, the gospel. And then he says this, which has come to you. The gospel comes to you. Do you understand that? The gospel makes its way to you. You don't work yourself to the gospel. What does it do? It comes to you. It moves close to you. It gets right next to you. This is the work of Christ. Is that he moves close to his people. Not, not once done, you've figured it out. I'm going to move close. What does the Bible tell us when you and I were still a mess? We were still broken and sinful when we had rejected God. When we had chosen to do our own thing and gone our own way. It's in that that Christ is moving close to us. 
right, that the gospel has come to you. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Make note of this. Make note of this. God is proactive in salvation, and we are reactive to his work. You understand that? In fact, Romans 3 tells us that no one seeks for God. No one is like, hey, you know, this thing isn't really working. I got an idea. I'm going to go find God because I think he's got it figured out. No, no, no. We're running in rebellion and rejection and God chases us down. And it's in that that we respond to him. In fact, Jesus says this in John 6. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent, he, sent me draws him. How about this in Romans 8? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he uh, justified, he also glorified. Now, just question, how much of that did you and I do? Okay, universal symbol for zip, zilch, nada. Show me, right? Nothing. Christ is doing everything here. All the heavy lifting is being done by God. And so in this, we thank God for the gospel because it has come to us. It's come close to us. Christ chased us down. Notice, secondly, what he says. As indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing. As indeed in the whole world. Realize the gospel is not a local thing, right? It's not a Rio Rancho thing. It's not a metro area thing. It's not confined to the borders of our county or even our state or even our country. It's a global thing. The gospel is a global thing. So we're saying in the whole world, what's it doing in the whole world? It's bearing fruit and increasing. I think sometimes our tendency is, is we tend to get a little bit narrow when it comes to the gospel in church. And we look at the American church and, and we look at, you know, by and large, the American church is fairly broken. I mean, every church is broken, right? I don't, you can go to, I don't care where you are in the world. The church is broken because it's comprised of broken people. But the American church seems to be especially broken. There's, there's the sense of, of ineptitude. Um, we, we play these silly religious games. I was talking with a brother just this week and, and uh, talking about when they lived in, in another part of the world and just uh, some of the brothers and sisters that they encountered where, you know, if you go to church, your life's on the line. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I've never woken up on Sunday and been like, I'm going to go to church. I wonder if someone's going to come in and take my life. I wonder if I'm going to be in prison. I wonder if this is going to cost me. The only thing it costs me is my time. Right? But this global thing, and so we look at the American church and we're like, well, is God really working? And yet, well, the church may not be thriving in our country. What's it doing globally? It's exploding. Do you realize we are seeing an advance of the gospel globally in ways that we have never seen before historically? And our tendency is we look at our little position and we go, well, God's not doing much. Yes, he is. And we need to familiarize ourselves with what's happening beyond just our own little um, nook and cranny of the world. This global thing. God help us, man. God help us that we would have a heart not just for our church, but for the church. Not just the church in our country, but the church globally. That, that, that we would be just excited about the fact of what's happening in Iraq or Iran or Saudi Arabia or, 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 or China or, or Laos or wherever it is as we would if what's happening in Rio Rancho or Albuquerque or Santa Fe. God help us that we would ha- have a heart for the church globally. Maybe you're saying, okay, well, how, how, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Well, 
I think the most tangible way that you and I begin to move down the road in that is that you and I actually begin to participate in global missions. The simplest way to do that is you just start praying for missionaries. Just start praying for people in other parts of the world. Other works that are happening outside of what's right around us. I think if you really want to up the ante, not only do you pray for it, but I think you start putting money into that. Right, money, money talks, right? You start putting your money into international mission. You start putting your money into um, global outreach. All of a sudden, you care a little bit more because you're literally invested in that. Not only that, here's one thing that I, I, I think as a church, this is certainly something I'm praying about. I'd love for you all to just be praying more and more about that. I, I pray that God would begin to send us out, that God would begin to send people out from us to the, to the ends of the earth. Now, some of you are like, oh, well, I, well, okay, can I send that person out? And maybe you're like, Mike, I'm going to pray that God would send you out. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, the, the truth is, that's, that's where Becky and I cut our teeth in ministry was overseas. I like to think at the end of that pa- this pastoral thing, whenever God says we're done with this, is that we'll end up back overseas somewhere. That's fine. If you want to accelerate the process, by all means, you're not going to hurt my feelings but that we pray that God would send people out. And let me press this a little bit further. I think that you and I need to start praying and asking the question whether or not God would send you and I out. Not just, God, would you send generic people out? Maybe you're like, well, I don't want people, let's send people out of Mike Potter's church. I need to send someone else out. No, no, is God sending you and I out? Some of you may be coming close to retirement and you've got something in your mind. Is God going to redirect that? Maybe some of you thought that this was the plan that God had for you and is he moving you in a different direction, right? But this idea, indeed, in the whole world, God help us, God help us that we would have a heart for global gospel impact. And then notice Paul says this, that what is it doing? Well, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. That's, this, the gospel always does this. This is what the gospel will always do. Make note of that. It will bear fruit and it will increase. Now, let me make a connection here. Um, Because he's talking about the word of truth and he's connecting it to this idea of bearing fruit and increasing. Here's what he's talking about. He is connecting the concept of theology with action. He's saying truth will produce fruit. Theology will produce action. And sometimes, sometimes I hear people make statements like, I I don't really want to study theology. Like, I don't care much about theology. I just want to love God. Okay, I, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and I think I know where you're going with that and what your intent is with that. And so without me saying anything else with respect to that, just imagine if I said to my wife, I don't really want to learn about my wife, I just want to love my wife. I'm guessing Becky's not okay with that. That's probably not something that she's like, oh yeah, I'm all for that. No, because here's the problem in that. I don't even know what I love. Further, I would argue that in that mindset... It's ultimately not really about God, it's about us. Because I am choosing the way and I'm choosing the means and I'm choosing the manner in which I will love God and how I will pursue him. Not the ways and the means that God has told us to love him and pursue him. In that, you and I become the object of our affection. And I'll just tell you, as we move through the book of Colossians, we're going to climb some really lofty heights theologically in this book. In fact, next week is like a Mount Everest passage for all of the scriptures. 
and it should produce in you and I a greater and fuller and more robust love of Jesus because theology will produce action. Theology will produce a love of Jesus. Theology will produce a worship of Jesus. Theology will produce an obedience of Jesus. Amen? God help us. God help us as we move through this that we don't get really fat up in our head and stay really thin in our hearts. Right? These things should move together. We thank God for the gospel here. Here's the final thing in this first point. We thank God for faithful people. We thank God for faithful people. Look what he says in verse 7 and 8. Just as you learned it, the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. I got to tell you this next line, man. I have read this next line. I can't tell you how many times this week. I'm just like, God help me. God help us that this would be true of us. Look at this. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Isn't that awesome? I mean, here's the reality. Here's what I've just been just rocked by all week. Is we, Epaphras isn't famous. We don't know a whole lot about this guy. But it, here's what's written about him in the scriptures for all of time. Is that this guy was a faithful minister of Christ. I got a text this week from Chris Risk. Uh, he and Becky are back on vacation back in the Midwest. And he took a selfie uh, at the headstone of A.W. Tozier. And, uh, right, just total theology nerd thing. That you, he would do that, and I'd get excited about it, right? We were just nerding out together um, around that. But, but on, on Tozier's headstone, it's got the, the year of his birth, the year of his death, his name, and then it has four words, and it says, a man of God. I was like, man, I, I hope my kids could put that on my headstone. And it'd be true. And see, Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. This is the guy that's responsible for planning this church. This is the guy that's responsible for making the journey to Paul, saying, help us, man. Uh, spare us. Come, come work in this. We thank God for faithful people. Now, I'll tell you, I, I think in our day and age, in our society, we've got this, um, we've got this celebrity complex. If it's not big, if it's not well-known, if it's not famous then it's not a big deal. And, and I think much to our detriment, that's invaded the church as well. And, and there's all kinds of problematic implications with this. I think not the least of which, maybe even most prominent, is what happens is uh, for your typical person, we abdicate the role of our part of God's mission in our lives. Because we go, well, I'm not well-known. I'm not famous. I don't have a book deal. I don't have a speaking tour. I don't have any of these things. So, so what am I going to do? So, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. That's the deacon's job. That's the ministry leader's job. That's that famous person's job. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you... Okay, I'm not speaking to the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. I'm talking to you, right? And I'm not. God's word is. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He's saying, listen, ministry, right? Ministry isn't for a select few. It's not for spiritual all-stars. It is for every single one of God's people. All of us. Let me just exhort you to fulfill your ministry. Do your part. Do not abdicate your role. Do, do, do not look at stuff and go, well, uh, 
Mike, it's obscure. What I do is obscure. Great. You don't have to struggle with getting an ego and wrestling with pride. You get to serve in faithfulness. No one notices what I'm doing. God notices. And ministry is not about getting noticed. Right? Do your role. Fulfill your ministry. I can't wait to get to heaven. And I can't wait to see and meet the people who ministered in total obscurity and yet they radically altered history. But you and I could never have known about it. Because I'm, I'm convinced that there are um, thousands, if not millions, of stories like that. In fact, let me just, I'll share one uh, that I'm aware of. Um, a lady named Bev Gibbs. I'm willing to bet none of you have ever met Bev Gibbs. None of you have ever heard her name. Or if you have heard her name, you're probably thinking of someone different. Uh, but this lady named Bev Gibbs. And a number of years ago, Bev had this neighbor. Uh, and just this neighbor was a piece of work. Hostile to the gospel. An atheist in every sense of the word. When they first moved in next to each other, it was the early 70s. Uh, Roe v. Wade had just passed. Uh, this neighbor, uh, a lady friend of hers, was, was counseling women to get abortions mocked. Christians wrote papers in college about how stupid Christianity was. And so what did Bev do? Bev baked chocolate chip cookies and invited her over. And week after week and month after month, shared the gospel and prayed for this woman and told her about Christ and encouraged her and exhorted her about her need for Jesus and, and often uh, ridiculed or mocked or, or ignored or made fun of and yet persistent in this. And then eventually one day, one day that neighbor lady all of a sudden started to think seriously about these things. And all of a sudden it started to make sense. In fact, that lady was the first lady on either side of her family that gave her life to Christ. Eventually her husband got saved. Uh, they had kids. One, one of um, their daughters is now leading a ministry uh, for high school athletes. Uh, one of their sons is a pastor. Another one of their sons own, owns a business and is regularly sharing the gospel where he's seeing all kinds of different people come to Christ. It's this incredible story. And the reason I tell you about Bev Gibbs and this story and faithful people is that neighbor lady was my mom. It was my mom. And so when I think about Bev Gibbs, you don't know Bev Gibbs, but I trace my spiritual heritage through that woman. My kids trace part of their spiritual heritage through that woman. My family is radically different because that woman was faithful. And I don't care that she's not famous. She doesn't care that she's not famous. But we thank God for faithful people. Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ. He wasn't famous, but he was faithful. God, help us. God, help us. God, help us that we would be faithful people. God, thank you. Thank you for faithful people. Notice this secondly, verse 9 through 14. Praying for God's people. We pray for God's people. Now, Paul is praying. I think it's instructive for us in terms of helping us to know how to pray. It's also applicable in our lives in general. Let me just highlight four things here uh, rather briefly. We could do an entire sermon on verses 9 through 14, but for the sake of time, uh, we're, we're not going to do that. 
Um, but praying for God's people, make note of this first of all in verse 9, praying to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Praying to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Here's what Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, we talked about prayer last week. I mean, we literally preached the entire message on prayer. And, and Jesus' sermon on, the, uh, sermon on the Mount right there in Matthew 6, 5, right, when you pray, here is another example of, right, we're just going to assume prayer in the life of a believer. We're just going to assume that, right? They have not ceased to pray for him or for them. And for this prayer to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, do you wish you could know God's will for your life? I mean, don't, don't we pray a lot around this? Don't we talk a lot about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to discern God's will. I'm trying to figure out God's will. I, 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 I'm not sure what God is calling me to here. And, and we'll struggle with this in terms of big decisions or events in our life. Or do I stay? Do I go? Do I speak into this? How do I respond? What do I do with this? And do you know what the Bible actually tells us God's will? Do you know it actually lays it out in very simple, plain terms? This is God's will for you. In fact, here it is. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Some of you are like, wait, no, no, I, I need more details than that. No, you don't. God gave you everything that you need. The will of God for your life is your sanctification. It's that you and I would look more and more like Jesus. God's will is tied more to your holiness and to my holiness than it is to our happiness. Okay, but Mike, I, I, I'm not sure what to do. I, I don't know how to proceed in this situation. Be obedient. That's, that's what God's word is telling us, be obedient. Well, there's multiple paths forward. None of them are inherently sinful or wrong. So what do I do? Well, you do what the text says. You ask God that you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding to the best of your ability. You make the best decision you can. I think sometimes we get so hung up on having this like definitive, clear moment of, I know for a fact this is God's will. I think a lot of times we make this more complicated than it needs to be. God's will is to be obedient. If you're really seeking after that, you think, I mean, God's not trying to trick us. Right? You, you remember that professor in, in college or maybe that teacher in high school who was always trying to trick you on the quiz? And I like asked some, some question worded oddly and you're like, I know what, he's, what the answer is, but it's worded so funny. I don't know if I'm right or not. And sometimes I think that's how we feel about God. Like, well, he's trying to trick me. He's not. If you want to honor God, he's going to lead you where you need to go. We pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Secondly, look at verse 10, that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He says this in verse 10. So as, so right, connecting back to verse 9, this idea of the knowledge of his will. Okay, what about that? Well, tied to that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, see, you can't do verse 10 without verse 9 playing out in your life. I've got to be seeking God's will before I'm ever going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because part of that is I'm going to surrender my desires, my intent, my purposes, what I'm really passionate about and go, you know what, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to pursue the things that you have for me. And when we do that, it is, as Paul mentions here in verse 10, it is pleasing to the Lord. Think about that. Did you know there are things that you can do in your life that God is pleased with? That God looks at and he smiles at? There's things you can do in his life that he's not pleased with either, okay? I think we're aware of, of those things. But notice a couple of ways that this is accomplished. It says this in verse 10, that we're bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge, specifically in knowledge of God. Okay, so let's talk about each of these here for a moment. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. What, what, what does it mean to bear fruit? I mean, that, that's like such a Christianese term. 
And if you're here, maybe you've heard other people talking about it, they're like, what in the world does that even mean? Like, I'm not a farmer. And, and, and even if I was, I kind of get it, but you're talking about this in a spiritual sense. What is this? Okay, here's what it is. It's the evidence or reality of God's work in our lives. That's all it is to bear fruit. It's the evidence or reality that God is at work in our life, that he's doing something, that God ha- God's hand is active within us. There's this tangible aspect that God is doing something. Now, there's really healthy ways that we'll push this, and then there's really um, unhealthy ways that we'll push this. You have some of the unhealthy ways. You have like this hyper-religious emphasis on external works. So part of my religious upbringing, I grew up in, in a context, or part of my upbringing was in a context where that was really emphasized. And so the term bearing fruit meant, well, you had to see people actually getting saved as if you had the ability to do that. Right? So you, you had to not only share the gospel, but people have to be getting saved, and you have to be a good person, um, and don't cuss and don't smoke. And if you did those things, then you were bearing fruit. But it left out this whole huge aspect that certainly would fall into this that wasn't talked about. Right? Bearing fruit is the work that the Christ is at work within us. And so, yeah, sharing the gospel is a part of that. Obedience is a part of this. But it's much broader than just that. And don't confuse, don't confuse the priorities in God's kingdom. Hear me, you got to hear me when I say this. Please, 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 listen, listen, listen. Eyes up here, get this, get this, get this. God is much more concerned. God is much more concerned with who you are and how you do things than he is with what you actually do. Did you catch that? God is more concerned with how you do it than what you actually do. He's more concerned about our integrity and our character and our honesty than he is about our achievement. So you could walk out of here today, you could share the gospel with a hundred people. But if your heart is hard and you are proud and you sit in judgment and condemnation of all those people, not only is God not impressed, he's probably repulsed. Because God cares far more about what's going on inside of us. He cares about who we are, not just what we are doing. He is after our hearts above all else. Remember when Samuel went to anoint David? He didn't know he was going to anoint David. He just knew he was going to anoint somebody. And he shows up and there's Jesse and the other seven sons of Jesse. And he's sitting there and he's looking at the oldest son. He's like, yep, that's the guy. And what's God's warning to Samuel? He's like, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So when we think about this idea of bearing fruit, yeah, there's an external element or aspect to this, but that is simply an element or aspect to it. So bearing fruit might be sharing the gospel. It might be obedience. It might be growing in a love of God. It might be growing in a love of, of, of worship. It might be growing in a love of God's word. It might be growing in a love of God's people. It might be that you and I become more gracious to others, that we become more giving or we give sacrificially. It might be that, that I extend forgiveness uh, when, when, when maybe it's hard or difficult. It might be that I want to think the best of others. It might be uh, that, that, that I'm willing to extend myself to people who uh, from the world standard aren't worthy to be extended to. This is what it is to bear fruit. It says that we're bearing fruit and increasing in knowledge. Increasing in the knowledge of God. We've talked a little bit about this already. Let me just maybe make one other note on this, that our knowledge of God should inform and instruct our love and our worship of God. All right? Our knowledge of God should inform and instruct our love and our worship of God. 
And I think far too often as people, we are divided at our shoulders. And we live most of our time and most of our space on one end or other of the spectrum. We're highly intellectual, um, but, but very little of the emotion comes through. Or we're highly emotional, we don't really think. But we live on one side or the other. And the reality is these should inform each other. Right? That the more that I know about God, that it should stir my passions and my emotions for God. And you come to this awesome truth of God and, and, and this, this incredible doctrine or reality of God. And we shouldn't be like, hmm, you know, that's really interesting. I want to think more about that. But we should be in awe and wondering, like, isn't God amazing? And overcome by what he's done. Increase in knowledge. It's not just that I know more about God, but that it informs my response to God. It informs how, how I engage God. And sometimes you go to churches and you'll hear worship leaders say something like, hey, we're going to sing one more song and it's going to prepare our heart for the message. And I don't have a problem with that, but it's one-sided. Because in as much as, as, as we write everything in church is a form of worship, it's just different forms of worship. As, as we worship in song, yes, it prepares us for preaching. But as we hear preaching in the word, it should inform and instruct our worship. We preach to enhance worship of Christ. They go together. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Thirdly, notice this, verse 11, be strengthened by God's power. Look at what he says. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then, I don't know what to think about these next few words. For all endurance and patience with joy. I mean, at first glance, you're like, be strengthened by God's power. That's awesome. I want to be strengthened by God's power. Wait, endurance and patience. Oh, Right, and then you got to ask the question, why am I being strengthened? Why do I need to be strengthened? I love you, but I got to be honest with you. It's because you're weak. It's because we need help. Right? We're, we're, we're inadequate in and of ourselves. It, it's going to be hard. And so you start looking at this and at first it's like, oh, that's really exciting. All of a sudden it's like, oh, no. Look at what's coming. In fact, let's talk about each of these here for just a moment. Be stre- being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. Impatience with joy. Notice, first of all, endurance. Anytime you see the word endurance in the Bible, that's um, from a human perspective, from a flesh perspective, that you're not going to be happy because it means it's going to be hard. And you're going to have to persevere and you're going to have to press and you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to struggle and you have to keep pushing forward in that. You got something you're enduring right now? You got something that God is making you persevere through? Just one question. Let me just ask one question with respect to this. Have you asked God to strengthen you with his glorious might to persevere in that? And that's what he's saying here. Might change everything. He talks about endurance, and then he says this phrase. I even though you could put these two words together. Patience. With joy. Sounds like an oxymoron to me. Like, how do you put these two things to? I don't know about you. When I think about having to be patient, I'm not like, oh, joy, that's the accompanying emotion or sentiment. I can think of some other words that I might put with patience. Joy is just not one that comes uh, to mind, and yet that's what we're told in the scriptures. Right? We're strengthened with all of God's power according to his glorious might, fall endurance, and patience with joy. See, these things don't go together in and of ourselves. They only go together when we're strengthened by God's power within these things. Let me just ask you this. 
What does God have you waiting for right now? What's that thing that God has you waiting for right now? What has God chosen to delay or to move at a speed that is much slower than you would have chosen yourself? And here's my question for you. As you think about those things, as you wrestle through those things, can you wait for God in that? Can you wait for his perfect timing? Can you wait for him to show up at just the right moment? On our own? Never. Like you could never do it. If you were left to yourself, you have no hope of accomplishing that. But what about when we're strengthened by the power of God? Not only can you and I do it, but we can actually do it with joy. I bet you didn't think that you were going to come to church this morning and go, oh, you know what? I'm going to have to wait for something. I'm going to be joyful about it. Because we don't like waiting for anything, do we? And yet, in God's kindness and providence, oftentimes they'll have us wait because it's what's best for us. Be strengthened by God's power. Here's the final thing. Verse 12 through 14, giving thanks to the Father. It says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's an awesome, awesome text. All right, praying for God's people. We give thanks to the Father. Um, just make note of this, make note of this. You could never, you could never thank God more than what is appropriate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like that there's never a point in time where you have thanked God more uh, th- th- than what would be necessary for what he's done. Not, not only could you not overdo it, I don't think we even hint at getting close to that. You could never thank him enough. If anything, we're on the other end of the spectrum of this where we just don't even come close to doing this. Make note of two of the things here that we thank God for. First of all, he's qualified you and I to share in the inheritance of the saints. You know, when you're talking about inheritance, what are you talking about? You're talking about the fact that God has made you his son or his daughter. You know, this whole adoption process that Becky and I have been moving through has been such a wild thing. I was talking to a friend of mine who recently adopted a couple months ago, and he just was, was talking about how it's just so radically altered his perspective um, of adoption. In fact, my brother and his wife are going to adopt a little baby here. Mom's due uh, in the next week or two. Um, and it's crazy. The, the kid won't look like us. It'll have a different skin color than us, but that will be my niece or my nephew in the same way that all my other nieces and nephews um, are my family. In the same way that in August, if this adoption goes through, that the Becky and I are waiting on, that uh, our child won't look like the rest of our children, but that little girl will be no less our child. That's what God does for us. Right? He gives us an inheritance and he makes us his child. It's reading in Hosea this week. Him, you who are not my people, I've made my people. That's what God does for us. Awesome. And so we thank him for that. Not only does he make us his children, but he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That he's delivered us from death and alienation and despair. And he's moved us to this place of redemption and forgiveness. What an incredible, incredible work of God. So we give thanks to the Lord in all things. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to close a little bit differently this morning. Um, A couple of items related to the church that that we want to share with you. And so let me just back up a moment. And uh, golly, it was probably November uh, when this conversation started uh, between Pastor Stefan and I. 
And uh, he just sensed that God was beginning to lead and to move in his life and in Jeannie's life in a variety of different ways. And uh, so it's clear that their time to transition has come. Um, and so I'm going to let Stefan share about that for a few minutes, and then I'm going to share a few things, and then we're going to cry and celebrate and uh, thank God for his mercy. Go ahead, brother.
there's Let me just say a couple things here, um, and then we'll all pray together and cry and hug them and all the appropriate stuff with this. Um, This is truly bittersweet. That's the word that I have used over and over and over again. This is bittersweet. It is bitter. Um, I love this guy. And uh, Steph and I were talking just this morning. I I was recounting when when I moved out here, I knew we had to fill this position, and I spent probably six weeks looking to see if we could find someone locally uh, to to mitigate some of the volume of people coming in from out of the area. And uh, when I realized that wasn't going to be the case, this was the first guy I called. Um, I love this guy. They've done a great job in, in the variety of roles and the variety of ways that they have served in this church and the ways that they have ministered to students and families. And, and certainly their ministry far extends beyond just the, um, the student ministry. But there's a bitterness here and, and a sadness and a loss. I'll tell you as a pastor, I, I have deep concern. I mean, there's just kind of fatigue. Right? I've had a lot of transition in the last six months. It's been hard. Um, that's not lost on me. Uh, and it's not lost on me that this is hard for all of us. But what I don't want to lose is the sweetness of this. And, and maybe you caught it in some of the things he said about realizing some of his, his heart um, and, and identifying some of his giftedness and realizing, hey, this, this w- a couple of things Stefan didn't mention here is, um, so he'll be teaching at a high school. His long-term desire, um, he just started his doctorate work, and then his long-term desire is to end up at a collegiate level. There's two Christian uh, universities in Phoenix, and then there's Phoenix Seminary. Both Stefan and I went to Phoenix Seminary. Stefan's got some great contacts there. And so this will give him the opportunity to start work on getting his foot in the door uh, on some of those things. And so in as much as it's bitter, there's a sweetness for these guys. That, man, God is, is, is positioning them into the place that, uh, that they love and that they're excited about. Um, and it's more sweet for them than it is for us, no doubt. Uh, but we want to celebrate that with them. Here's, here's another thing I want you to be aware of. This is part of our vision as a church. This is part of our vision as a church. That we want to be a church that's not just about our church, but a much broader perspective of, of the whole of what God is doing. And, and uh, many of you have seen our, our Build His Church vision. And really, we have three pillars to that. One is that we build our church. One is that we build pastors and ministry leaders that build churches. And then we want to plant churches. And so we were talking, what was it, three, four weeks ago at a pastor's meeting, and Stefan said, yeah, you know, the first time you put that in front of the congregation, you pointed at me, you said, Stefan will be one of those guys. Stefan will be a guy that will be sent out. Now, this isn't maybe the way that we had envisioned Stefan being sent out, but no doubt this is a part of this. And I'll, I'll tell you that I hope we do this more. Not because I have any delight in this, not because I'm like, oh, yay, the Wilsons are leaving. No, there's, there's great sorrow over this. But I think there's great honor for Christ in this. And my heart is that over, over the number, however many years God will give me with you all, is that we're going to send out some of our very best and some of our very brightest to go do gospel work somewhere else. That's my hope. In fact, I heard a quote recently uh, by David Platt, and he said, the health of a church isn't measured by who's coming in. The health of a church is measured by who's being sent out. And I look at this young man right here, and I look at his family, and I look at who he is and his character and his integrity and his giftedness. And Jeannie, I think about you and all of your giftedness and your talent and your skill set. Um, we may never send someone out as good as these guys. This might be the best we ever do. 
Um, I hope not, uh, but, but it's possible. And so uh, Stefan already talked briefly about the plan moving forward. Uh, Pastor Ryan will, uh, will step in. Uh, Val Priggy is actually going to come in and begin to uh, backfill uh, some of the administrative and logistical pieces of this and some of the different work that will, will be entailed uh, with respect to that. And, and, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks in terms of what that will look like. But let me do this too. Uh, the rest of the volunteers for youth ministry, will you stand up? I know a couple of you are in here. There's Aiden and Kate's up there. Tara's not here. Um, I want to honor these people in front of you because they serve in so many ways and so faithfully in so many ways. You guys have seen a lot of Aiden lately as he's really uh, leaned into um, uh, helping us in this time of transition and worship and so thankful for him. But understand, understand um, just the great job that these guys do. In fact, I, I kind of chuckled this morning. I, the, tonight is the first night that any of my kids could go to youth group. And um, it'll be almost 20 years before Becky and I will cross that threshold again before we don't have a student in student ministry. So it's not lost on me how substantial and significant um, this ministry is. But here's, here's what I want to do. Um, there's plenty of things we could say. Um, I, I want to tell you how much you mean to me. I want to tell you how thankful I am for your service. I want to tell you, um, what you guys don't understand is Tuesday afternoons, the pastors get together. Um, Stefan has such incredible insight theologically. He has such incredible insight in terms of the text. And so it doesn't matter who's preaching. The preaching gets better because of his insight. And so there, there's probably a hundred things that I could talk about that no one would know that it's attributed to this guy, but it comes back to him because it's manifested somewhere else or by someone else. And so I want you to know that you will be deeply missed on so many different levels. And um, on top of the professional piece, just the friend and the confidant and, and the partner in ministry that you've been, and I'm just so thankful for you. Um, and Gina, you as well. You have been such a faithful uh, partner in ministry. You have served our students so faithfully. You've served our women so faithfully, and we're so thankful for you guys. Um, July 14th, is that the right date? Whatever that Friday is. Yeah. We're going to do an open house. It'll be a time for you guys uh, to come say goodbye, give them hugs tell them how awesome they are, try to convince them to stay. They're not going to listen, but that's okay. Um, <coughs> and uh, uh, when we get to moving time, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we communicate in terms of how we can help with that, assist with that, help them pack stuff, load stuff, clean stuff, uh, all that stuff. That's a great way for us to serve. Here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to actually have Stefan and Jean, why don't you guys come down right here? I'm going to have the elders come up. And, uh, you know, we, we look at church like a family. And so I'm going to have a couple of the elders are going to pray. Uh, and then once they get up here, I'm going to ask the rest of you to get as close as you can. And uh, so just like set aside the whole awkward personal space, weird American thing where it's like, you're in my bubble, okay? You were going to break some bubbles, okay? It won't be for long, uh, but we're going to do that. But let's, come on, let's gather together as a family. Let's get as close as we can. And guys, I can't even remember who's praying for who. <laughs> Lynn, I think you're praying for Wilsons. And so we want to pray for the Wilsons. Um, oops, sorry. Uh, and then we also, we also want to pray, I'm going to pray for Ryan uh, as he transitions. And then I'm going to pray for our, for our, our parents and our students, because uh, this is hard. This is a hard transition for these guys as well. And so 
Uh, Lynn, why don't you start us off, and then I think Steve, you're praying, and then I'll close us up. Lord Jesus, as we um, are here, we, God, we would be remiss to not thank you for so many things. We thank you for the almost four years uh, that we were blessed by uh, Stefan and Jeannie and uh, by Abigail and Caleb. Uh, God, we thank you for just their faithful service. We thank you for their partnership. We thank you for uh, the love and the effort and the energy. We thank you for the ways that they've expended themselves for 
uh, the sake of the gospel and for your kingdom and the ways that they've given uh, to this body and to so many people. So we thank you for that. God, we pray that you would go with them, that you would have your hand upon them, that you would uh, be powerfully moving within that, this family. And, and God, I, I pray that um, these interviews that Jeannie has, that they would go well. God, we pray you'd give her a, a job that she loves, um, that is life-giving to her. God, for Stefan, as he uh, moves into this new role, and just this morning as we were talking about the idea of, I, I get to teach the Bible six or seven hours a day, five days a week. I'm just excited about that. And I, I pray that, that he would continue to be excited about that, that it would be life-giving to him and, and uh, that they would flourish there. And we thank you for just your obvious movement within this. God, for Ryan, we thank you for... Um, his willingness to step in and to fill this void. And, and, and God, we know that you've gifted him for this. We thank you for his heart in this. And so we pray as he leads that uh, his oversight of the ministry would be pleasing and honoring to you. And I got to think about students and parents. And I think about <coughs> the difficulty in this. I think about um, certainly the disappointment, uh, the, the loss of relationship. And God, I pray that uh, in the same way that for the, the last almost four years, Stefan was the guy that our students needed to lead. We trust that Ryan is the guy that our students need moving forward. And so we pray that, that um, you would make that clear and obvious uh, to our students and to our parents. We pray that you would build those relationships, that you would give um, just a greater sense of, of trust and respect and mutuality uh, amongst uh, these people. And um, God, we just pray that, that you would look down and, and much like you said in your text, that, that this would be pleasing to you, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that this would be pleasing to you. Uh, so help us to do that. And God, for us as a church, we're weary. We're weary of change and transition. And so we pray for your hand to stabilize. Um, <clears throat> and God, if nothing else, this is a great reminder for all of us that you you're, this is your church. This is your thing. This is your bride. We, we don't control. This is yours. And so we trust that, that your sovereign timing and your perfect plan and all these things, we, we entrust it entirely to your care. We ask you to do what only you could do in the manner and the way that only you could do it. So be glorified here at Faith Church, and we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Faith Church, you are loved, and you are dismissed. Thank you. <laughs>